Hey, leaders. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good night. Whatever time it is you're listening, I'm so excited you're here with me. Um, as you know by now, uh, this is our format for training, and my goal is to keep this 15 minutes long on the high end and hopefully shorter. Uh, and our goal really is how do we get on the same page? How do we make sure that you are feeling equipped? And how are we presenting the content that we want to get across to our students? So to give you kind of a high-level view, last month, this month, and next month are really playing into the foundational principles that we want us all to know. Starting in January, we'll start giving some tips and tricks like how to have spiritual conversations or uh, how to lead an unproductive small group or how to help somebody move forward in their faith when they just seem stuck. Uh, we'll be talking more about fat students and, and how are you pursuing mentoring. Uh, but for these three months, we want to talk about how do you see where students are at? Uh, what is our overall philosophy? And what is the environment we're trying to create? Uh, so today we're going to touch on environment. Uh, quick note, uh, last month I sent a, a link to a video on YouTube called Butterfly Circus. It's an indie film. And if you have not watched that yet, please do. Uh, it's 20 minutes long. Um, it has the guy in it who has no arms or legs, Nick Faluliak, something like that. And it is one of the best examples of how to meet people where they're at, create an environment of safety, and then call them to a higher place. Uh, that movie does a better job than most of these trainings I can do, so please watch that. Uh, so today I want to talk about environment. An environment quite simply, means how do we want people to feel when they come in? Uh, what kind of mood do we want to set? Who do we want to be? Uh, an environment is every program we run, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night. It's also the events we do, middle school bowling. Depending on how much you put yourself out there, honestly, it's also social media. Uh, so I am not requiring leaders to add students on social media, but if you do, uh, as we start moving into election seasons, just be aware they're watching you. So quite frankly, I don't actually care who you vote for. I do care how you talk about it because you can create an environment of safety and discussion um, or you can create an environment where only one opinion is okay and there is no discussion. That will hurt your discipleship efforts. So just be aware of that as we move into this season. Uh, but as we're here, there are kind of three goals that we have. Uh, we want students to feel safe. We want them to feel welcome and known. And we want this to be a place that they own. I'll go into all three really quickly. Safety. We want this to be a place that is that students feel physical and emotional safety, and it's non-judgmental. We want it to be a place where students are safe to ask questions without fear of ridicule, without us saying, are you serious? Like, we just want them to be able to ask questions. We want them to be able to be safe to learn and experiment. We want them to know that doubt is okay and encouraged, and we don't assume everyone gets it. I'm running a Bible study with a group of um, sophomore girls who've attended our church for a while. And last week, one of the high school girls said, hey, Jake, how do I start reading the Bible? And I could have responded and been like, hey, are you serious? You've been listening to my sermons for five years. If you don't know that now, what is wrong with you? 
Uh, instead, I just thought that in my head and said, oh, let me give you some ideas and can I follow up with you? The fact that she has sat in our sermons for the last four years has not given her all the tools she needs to step forward. Uh, I can't assume she gets it, and you can't assume anyone in your group gets it. Uh, it's so important that we allow this to be a place where the questions like that can be asked. We had a student about two years ago, um, and we get these students pretty frequently who come in with their presuppositions of what we believe, and they decide to challenge the pastor. Um, this kid sat down. He's very smart. We sat in our small group. It was myself and Thomas Brown. And this kid opens his mouth 20 seconds in and says, hey, do you teach your kids that Santa Claus is real? I'm like, oh, I do. And I kind of go through our traditions. And he goes, oh, that makes you a really bad parent. You lie to your kids. That's terrible. How can they trust you for the rest of their lives? And at that point, I very much could have looked this kid in the eye and said, hey, I am 20 years older than you. I'm a good dad, and you can shut your mouth. Or I can do what I did, which is say, hey, let's talk about that. Our small group that night went an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, youth group got over at 8. We got done at 8.50. And this student, by the end of the night, came around and said, I understand what you're doing, and uh, I understand why you think Jesus is real. I don't know if I agree with you, but I get it. It was actually a really crazy turn of events. Um, this kid was testing the waters to see if I would snap, uh, to see what I, if I would push back, to see what I would say, and it turned into a great conversation. It has to be safe to ask questions. We can't be judgmental. Uh, towards this end, um, I think it's important that we have a high tolerance for mess. I think that we are going to have students who come in who don't know what we believe, who don't know what the expectation is, and we should set an expectation. We should set a standard. I am not saying let's make an anarchistic youth group. But we have to understand there are some students who they're testing the waters, and we have to be okay with that. And there are some students we shouldn't be. I'll give you a really easy example. Uh, Asha and Clay, who I believe are listening to this, they have decided to be middle school leaders. They have decided to be spiritual leaders to our students. We should hold Asha and Clay to a high standard. And I, and I believe they're doing it. Like, they are wonderful. They've put themselves in that position. When we have a new student who shows up, is asking questions, maybe curses a little bit too much, but really has no idea what we're doing, we cannot be the police of that person's morals because it doesn't work. My experience is the church has made it their goal to be the moral police and then are surprised when life change doesn't happen. I can tell you that pointing people to Jesus, literally one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict. That's where you see life change. So I would encourage you, we want a high tolerance for mess. Um, and as a relationship with students deepen, we want you to know when it's good to challenge them. And that's our whole topic next month. Second, we want students to know that they are welcome and known. We want them to know that they belong and they are wanted. We want people moving towards them. When a student shows up to an event, to a program, we want to be physically moving towards them before they move towards us. Um, we want them to know that we see them for who they are. We want to ask questions. We want to see how they're doing. Uh, one of the best examples of this ever for me personally is one of our leaders, Kimberly Hill. 
uh, 10 years ago, my wife and I started attending Discovery um, only because I applied for a job here. And we attended our first Sunday meeting in a school cafeteria, and it was weird. And a bunch of people greeted us because that's what you do at church. But this one woman came up to us, Kimberly, and she talked to us. She asked questions, and we didn't think anything of it. The next Sunday, we came back again, and she found us, and she said, Hey, Jake, how's your job at the nonprofit going? Uh, hey, Robin, how's your dad doing? Isn't he a, a pastor, I remember? And it blew our mind. She didn't ask us questions just to fill the time. She asked us questions to build a relationship, um, and there's still a relationship there. Um, that's what we want to be doing. We want students to know that we hear them, we remember, we respect them, we love them. I used to uh, teach uh, a class in the health classes at Legacy High School when I started here. Um, I would speak to about three to 400 freshmen every year. Uh, and we did a, a talk on the five love languages. The five love languages, if you're not familiar, was a book written that talks about the ways that people feel love and express love. And there are five main categories. Physical touch, quality time, acts of service, gifts, or words of affirmation. Uh, when we gave this test to the freshman students, between 80 and 90% of them came back with physical touch or quality time. Statistically, that's actually probably not how most of them show love. Normally, the love languages are pretty evenly split, but it did speak to a need. These kids thought that they felt the most loved, and honestly, were probably lacking this love in a lot of areas of their life through quality time and physical touch. We can help fill those gaps. Um, the idea of physical touch, um, if you feel comfortable, um, we love it when students are physically touched appropriately, appropriately being very important there. High fives, pat on the head, pat on the back, a hug. That's important because students feel loved when they're touched. Again, I cannot reiterate this enough times, keep this appropriate, keep this completely above reproach. And if you feel uncomfortable, please don't do it. If you feel comfortable, it's a way to express. Um, my love language generally is physical touch. You will see me high five students, pat them on the head. Um, that's how I show love. I also wanna make a challenge to all of our leaders. Whether you are in a program that has 15 kids show up or a program that has 60 kids show up, I want you to make it a goal to greet and speak to every student there every single time. I challenge all of my staff to do this as well. So on a Sunday morning when we have 50 kids in the youth room, I will stand on the stage and every kid that comes in, I will greet by name, I will go give a high five, I will talk to, because you may be the only person that week who acknowledged them as an individual, not as a part of a group. That's powerful. So leaders, every time you're with students, I want you to greet every student. Uh, if you come to our winter retreat, if there are 80 students, I want every leader speaking to all 80 students. If you're an introvert, feel free to panic now. I understand. But panic now so you don't panic then. Uh, finally, we want this to be a place that students own. This becomes theirs. Uh, they become upset when people mess up the room. They become upset when people break the rules because this is their room. This is their building. This is their church. This is their sanctuary. 
the church over the last 20 years has been in five or six locations. The youth have been in about 14. Uh, and one of those locations was meeting in the garage of Keith and Heather Johnson, which we so appreciated. We met for two years. It was a gorgeous place. But early on, uh, me and Heather had to talk because uh, our students were just leaving trash around. Or one student like dumped a bottle of pop on the garage door, and they were leaving this place much worse than they found it. And so we had to talk with students about how do we leave the place better than we came. And it was embarrassing to me, but not a complete surprise, because they had never really respected any space they'd been in. Uh, my living room, different buildings we rented. So much so that when we moved into this building, I actually put aside about a quarter of my first year's budget to fix holes in the wall. Because I knew what was going to happen. We had a quite rambunctious kid named Brian Eck, and I knew he was going to put a body-sized hole in the wall. Fast forward to a year later, and we hadn't put a single hole in the wall. Um, that part of my budget got used on other things because our students owned this place. This was theirs. Uh, to be fair, the second year we did put a hole in the wall. Uh, I played a little game called couch jousting, which was not my best choice, and we put a nice dent in the wall that we had to fix. Uh, and then while I was on sabbatical, um, Keith Johnson and Chris Ott decided to put a Chris ott size hole in the wall, but that was not on my watch, so I don't count it. Guys, we want this to be a place that students own, that this is theirs, because when that happens, it becomes easier to have challenging conversations. It becomes easier for students to bring friends. It becomes easier for you to be able to push students deeper because this is theirs. I'll just tell you, I think you guys know this. If a student comes who's new and they're just checking things out and they're not sure what they think and they don't own this place, having deep conversations is going to be hard. So your job is to help create a sense of ownership where this is theirs. All right, guys, that about wraps up the week on environment. High tolerance for mess, safety, welcome and known, the place that they own. Uh, please, if you haven't done so, watch Butterfly Circus. You can watch it with your kids. You can watch it with your spouse. You can watch it with friends. It's a wonderful movie, one of my favorites, and it's 20 minutes long. Next month, we're going to talk about how do you meet kids where they're at, all the way from the cautious non-believer who isn't ready to make any commitment to the absolutely contagious believer who you can't even slow down. Uh, and how does that tie in with the fat students and discipleship? So that'll be next month, uh, and I can't wait to talk to you guys about it then. Thanks, guys.